Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Thinking about the sermon today, I, I came up with a title for it, and it'll make more sense when I as I go through it. But this sermon, if I'm gonna title, it's called Hairpin Turns, Roller Coasters, and Curveballs. And you'll understand more as I go into this why I called it that. We have had a kind of a crazy whirlwind couple of weeks here. Uh, this is this is the first Sunday in three weeks that we've been here because we went off to, uh, uh, <clears throat> we came, we, we just returned last Sunday evening from St. Lucia. And so, uh, how many of you have been on a trip with us to St. Lucia or, or otherwise? Any, anybody in here? We had, Greg has, we had a, a few earlier. If you haven't been, it's just, a, it's an amazing place. It's, it is paradise. Um, you know, you, you go outside, it, it never gets above 84, never gets below 74, um, all year round. We stepped outside, and you can pick mangoes off the tree and, and eat them there, and wow. you can see bananas growing, and, and it's just, it's a beautiful place. Wow. And it's probably the, the size of, it's just a little bit bigger than the, the land space of Columbus, and population is just a little bit more than Dayton. And that's a whole country. But because it's roads and curves and mountains and <clears throat> beaches, there's only one main road and a bunch of side roads. If you want to drive from one side to the other, which is only about uh, 27 miles, it's still going to take you two and a half, three hours because it's, it is not a straight shot. In fact, there's a lot of hairpin turns going through it. And I got baptized into driving on the other side of the road while I was there, um, which was a lot of fun, having the steering wheel on the right side, driving on the left. And that wasn't the hardest part, though. That, the hardest part was actually navigating these roads as you're going through, because you can't see what's coming next. And that's one of the things I've learned in this, this uh, past couple of weeks, is you don't always see what's going to be coming next. But we were staying in paradise, and some of my favorite things there were uh, just seeing my girls minister in another country, and just uh, giving words and, 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 and sharing with people the gospel. And uh, seeing them make friends with people in other cultures. I mean, just something that they will never forget. If you've never done a, an overseas mission trip, um, I highly recommend doing it because it just gives you perspective. One of the things that you see is you, you're grateful for what you have. But the other thing that you also see is sometimes people have some good ideas that we don't do. And it's just it's a great experience if you can do that. But um, we were there planting seeds. We were there connecting with, with um, Pastor Kendall and Chriselle and their leaders, and we spent some time um, just feeding into their leaders there. We spent a little time doing a marriage workshop. We were actually, we even got to do a sozo while we were there. We were planting things there. We may have been some of the first voices live in that country, not talking about YouTube, but live in that country to speak some of the things that we said. And I felt like this was what it's about, discipling nations making disciples of nations. We got to, to be a voice in a country that may not have heard some of the things live that we were able to say. 
we were able to do a, a VBS for a couple of days there, and that, I will tell you, is mission work. We earned our keep while we are doing that. It was, it was fun, but it, but it is work, definitely will tell you. And so um, I feel like it was our opportunity to go out and really have an impact on the world. Because so, so many times we can get caught up in what's going on in our little area, whether it be our little community or even just our, our state or our country and forget. God's doing things all over the place. God's doing things all over the world. And so I wanted to, I picked out a verse to kind of summarize that, Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. His power, he can do more than we can imagine, but his power is at work within us. He uses us to be his voice. He uses us to be his hands and feet. That's what we got to do while we're there. And then as Angie mentioned, um, uh, shortly after uh, we came back, um, Grace went off to volleyball camp and we decided to take Caleb and, that's what I meant. Thank you, Grace. Cheer camp. And we decided to, uh, to take uh, Caleb and Kara up to Cedar Point. That's the area I grew up when I was a kid. And so here's the roller coasters part. Um, Kara realized, or Caleb realized he actually kind of likes roller coasters, and Kara realized she really doesn't. So we had a lot of fun. It's kind of nostalgic for me, kind of go back, and I remember some of the rides I used to ride when I was a kid, and then some of them that, that are new that weren't there when I was there before. And so it was a lot of fun, you know, just doing that, spending time uh, with the kids there. Later um, in the week, um, Angie and I celebrated our 21st anniversary, which was awesome. You know, I chose her, but what it really excites me is she chose me, too. I mean, she just, she's amazing. And so we went up uh, to Cleveland and, and spent a night there and uh, went to an Indians game. So they're the curveballs. Um, and they won, which, you know, they're my team. I know a lot of people around here root for the Reds. Sorry for you guys. But, but uh, sorry, hey, not my fault. But, uh, but. All of this was, was happening, and it was just good. So we, we're going out, we're ministering outside, then we're ministering inside, doing things in our family. Just a great time. And then the next phase when we got back, and, and to get you to fully understand that, I, I need to give you a little background. Um, I've shared up front uh, once or twice um, that I started working with a life coach, um, Jeff. And it was kind of a weird circumstance that I met him. Um, in one of the online courses I'm doing, they, they'd mentioned life coaches, and I, I read about it in a book that I was reading, so I emailed some of these ministries and said, hey, who would be a good life coach for me to connect with? And they gave me a list, and the only guy in my time zone was Jeff, who is right now living in the Baltimore area. So I contacted him, we, we set things up, and really hit it off well, enjoyed um, him working with me. He poured a lot into my life. I, you know, I met him uh, the beginning of February, um, and I went to one of his uh, trainings, and we were starting to dream together. He's even talking about maybe doing some marriage workshops with me and that kind of thing. I got home, and I got an email that said um, Jeff had unexpectedly died. And so I had, you know, these high points, these amazing things that were happening, and it was like a roller coaster ride. I got thrown a curveball. And, um, 
you know, I just all of a sudden just felt grief. And I knew that I was going to be teaching today, and I'm thinking, God, last time I taught, we just had tornadoes. What's going on? You know? And um, apparently God is, is working through something in me, not that he orchestrated tornadoes or Jeff's death, but um, it, was just, it was just a shock. And Jeff was maybe 10 years older than me, too young to go. He was actually very athletic. Um, he was out cycling that day. And my best guess is, uh, and his wife found him uh, in his bathroom. He wasn't feeling well after cycling. His wife found him in his bathroom, and the bathroom collapsed uh, that day. And my best guess would be a heat stroke. He was probably, but I don't know. I don't know the details, but it's just, it's just shocking. And so I'm trying to pull myself together, and I'm not like Aaron Simmons. I can't roll out of bed, pull out my grocery list, and write a few things on the back of it and give you this amazing download of information in a sermon. I like to have some time to prepare. And so he can do that. I can't. But I'm just consumed with grief. I'm just kind of like, you know, on the one level, just this, this new friendship and just enjoying that. On another level, you know, we were dreaming about doing things together. I was seeing a future going in this and, and kind of grieving that as well. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what can I share with people today? And um, I'm sitting at my, my laptop, and I had some ideas, and nothing was feeling right, and I spent a good part of the day just staring at a screen. Um, and I'm, you know, talking to Anne, she said, just, just share what, what, what you're going through. Just share what's happening. So this is not going to be my most polished sermon. Um, I did not make a bunch of slides uh, just because I'm working through stuff. I'm trying to figure out how I am even processing what's going on. But I wanted to give you guys a few points that I feel like God's shown me as I've been walking through this last couple of days and even the last couple of weeks. And the first point that I want you to understand, well, b- before I do that, I want to mention what I'm going to do with each point. After each point, I'm going to give you a question to ask God. This is a very Sozo-esque technique. So um, I'd encourage you to write things down or type them in your phone or that kind of thing because I'm going to have you ask God some things and you're going to expect God to answer. Now, the way God answers, you won't necessarily hear an audible voice. Now, if he does, that's great. Celebrate that um, if you hear an audible voice. But the way he'll answer is you'll get a thought pop in your head. You'll get a feeling. You'll get a sense. If it's good, it's God. Okay? So just go with that quick first thing that you're sensing or feeling, God will show you some things. More on that when we get to the first question. But the first point that I want to make that I think God was showing me is that we are powerful. We are powerful people. But we're actually even more powerful when we're in relationship with other people. It gets multiplied. Leviticus 26.8 says this, Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. The more that we can connect with each other, the more that we can be together, the more powerful we'll be for Jesus. And that's why it's so important to look outside of what's just going on in our group. You know, uh, I love uh, like what Steve's doing, kind of leading people out to say, hey, there's more happening in the city. There's people suffering. There's tornadoes that are still getting cleaned up. It didn't just happen uh, <clears throat> right after Memorial Day and we're done, we're still dealing with this. There's more happening. 
That's what missions trips do. That's what ministry trips do. Now, I want to mention, you are powerless to do anything without Jesus, but much of what Jesus wants to do in you, he won't do without you. He wants to co-labor and partner with you. To the point so much that when Jesus came, when he was born, the baby in, in the manger, it, was, it did not happen until after people had interceded for, for many, many, many years. That's how much he wants to partner with us. His purposes are intended to be co-laboring, for us to be in community together, do them together to partner with him. So I want you to ask a question. Well, I, actually, before I, I want to mention this too. God, in your life, God is not in control. I know we say that and we sing that, but God is not in control of your life. He gave you free will. He is not in control. He is in charge. Don't get me wrong. He is in charge. But he doesn't control you. He gives you free will to partner with him or not. So you can choose. If you're struggling with something, he will give you free will to partner with Holy Spirit to overcome that or to ignore it and continue in whatever you're struggling with. A police officer is in charge, but they are not in control. If a police officer was in control, there would never be any crime. But you better not mistake that they are, in, they are in charge. If you do a crime, they will let you know that you did that crime. Okay? Same way with God. He didn't, he's not in control of you. He doesn't control you. He doesn't tell you what to do. But he will let you know when you're not walking the way that you should have. So I want you to ask God this. Who has God called you to partner with so that you can multiply what he's doing in your life? Ask him that. When he shows you that, write that down. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Let it, let it just flow into you. Let him show you people around you that he has called you to partner with to multiply what he's already doing. Hopefully, there'll be some people in here. And I have to go through this fairly quickly. So as you write these down, you may want to go back later and ask the questions again. But the next, uh, next thing that God showed me is there is purpose in everything that you do. Over and over again in life, I find situations that I did not expect, and God uses them anyways. Now, God didn't necessarily author every situation. God didn't decide Jeff was going to die to make us better. Okay? But he will use everything. He will use anything. Even mistakes that you made, if you put those back into his hands, he'll turn it into something amazing. That's how good he is, to the point where I've seen people sinfully mess up, and then they turn back to God and give it to God, and I see their life take off. They start some ministry that can minister to the people that they were the same sin as, and I'm thinking, God, if they hadn't been stuck in that sin, they would never be in this ministry. How did you do that? Now, did God intend them to be stuck in the sin? No, but he's so good at cleaning it up, you can't imagine how life could be if they didn't start out in that sin, because he turns it into something amazing. A lot of us are, are looking at our lives and thinking, God, why do you have me here? I wish I was somewhere else. I don't like this job. I don't like this relationship. I don't like where I am. And I want to propose to you, instead of asking, looking at that, ask God what he wants to do. Why does he have you in the spot where he is, where he has you? In Esther, um, uh, Mordecai, her uncle says to her, who knows but that, that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this? Who knows 
that you are right in the spot where you should be because God is going to use you right where you are in the job that you hate. Who knows? If you put it in his hands, who knows what he may do with it? Romans 8.28 um, says this, and we know that in all, God, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will use everything. He will turn it into gold. He'll turn everything that we put in his hands. So maybe you love where you are, or maybe you hate it. Uh, maybe you've messed up and you put yourself in a bad spot. I want to invite you today to give that to Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you going to do with this? Because he will turn it into something amazing. doesn't mean you don't have to clean up messes, but he is so good at cleaning things up um, if you will partner with him that he'll turn it into something amazing. So here's the next question I want you to ask the Lord. Jesus, why do you have me in the place I am right now? And how will you use where I am to glorify you? third point that I'd like to make is that it is our assignment to bring heaven to earth. We pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we see issues on the earth that don't line up with heaven, it's our job to go and fix it and do something about it. However, heaven is not completely on earth yet. And this is how I know that. Because in heaven, they don't pray for healing because there's no sick. So we still have to pray for healing here. In heaven, they don't raise the dead because there's nobody dead. Okay? So we are still, we, we live in the kingdom now, which is the access to heaven, but the not yet as well. We haven't seen the fullness of heaven here yet either. <clears throat> and so when I notice something that doesn't look like heaven in life, one of my jobs, one of the things to do is to partner with God to see what can, how can I be a channel for heaven to come into that situation? How can I allow, maybe it's praying for healing. Maybe it's, it's giving. Maybe it's giving time and energy. Maybe it's just compassion, love. Whatever it may be, he will show us what we can do to bring heaven to earth. So here's the next question for him. Lord, what are the areas in my life that don't look like heaven? And how would you have me respond to that? may show you things in your own life or, or just connected to you, people that you know. What does not look like heaven, and how would you have me to respond? A fourth thing God has shown me. At any given time in life, you can survey your life and you look, can look at it and you can see things that God's not doing or you can see things that God is doing. Any point. We all can do this. So when we were meeting with, with Kendall and, and the pastors there and the leaders, one of the things that he was lamenting was in their church, there's such a lack of men who attend services, who, come, who, who have any kind of connection to God. In fact, they said about maybe 20% of the congregation was men. He was just saying how difficult it was and how hard it was. 
And I looked at him and I said, yeah, I know that that is true, but you know what, the men that you do have, these guys are amazing. Like they are real fathers, they're caring for their kids, they're leaders, they're strong. And it's like this light bulb went off and, and something just shifted for him. He's like, you know what, you're right. I really need to celebrate what we've got going instead of worrying what we don't see. Because if I focus too much on, on what's not happening, and if I tell the men, man, we just don't have enough men here, they're discouraged. They're feeling like they're not doing things right. But if I say, man, you guys are champions. You guys are amazing. You guys are bringing heaven to earth the way that you love your families. Now, all of a sudden, they're feeling like, oh, I've got something. And now, other men are looking at them saying, wow, they've got something going on. I want to be like them. I want to bring in any point in time, we can look at life and we can say what God's not doing or we can see what he is doing. If we will look at what he is doing, we're going to multiply that. If we will look at what he's not doing, we're going to multiply that. So we have to choose which, which spirit are we going to partner with in that. So I want you to ask God this question. Is there anything in my life that I see as lacking which I have allowed to distract me from what you are doing, God. Is there anything in my life that I'm looking at lack instead of looking at what you are actually doing? This brings me to my fifth point. Having eyes for what God's doing does not mean that we ignore problems when it happens. I've gone through grief these last couple of days. I do not have to pretend like that's not there. Okay? If Jesus is allowed to weep for a man he's getting ready to raise from the dead, I'm allowed to mourn when somebody close to me dies. Okay? I just don't come at it from the same place of hopelessness. I can grieve and mourn with hope. That sounds contradictory, but I can do both. I can hurt because there's a sting and a pain to death because I know it's not the way things should be. But I still have hope for what God is doing. I still have hope for the future. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's an implication there. If you want to be comforted, you do need to mourn. Let yourself mourn so that he has a place to bring you comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, and 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, it still does say that you do grieve. Okay? You still grieve, just not like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. See, we grieve, but we grieve from a place of hope. We know that there's something more. We know that there's something bigger. Amen. I can hardly stand to be away from Angie for a couple of days without grieving. I know she's coming back. I know I'm going to see her again, but I miss her. There's just something about that separation and knowing that things are not the way it completely God intended them to be, that it hurts, it stings. But I still have hope. I can still have hope knowing that ultimately there's something really good God has going on. And so let, let me have you ask the Lord this question. Ask him, Lord, is there any area of pain in my life that I need to mourn 
Is there any place where I'm mourning that I have not maintained hope? And if I see either of those things, if he shows you either of those things where I need to mourn or I am mourning and I don't have hope, I want to invite you to repent. That basically means, Lord, I don't want to look at life that way anymore, so I give that to you. Please give me your eyes to see life. How should I look at life? Another thing I've learned is I cannot do this without help. I can't go through something like this without help. As soon as I found out about the tragedy, I was letting people know to get them to pray for me. I didn't want to go through this on my own. And my best help um, is from the Lord. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Part of me realizes I need his help, but I also, part of me getting his help is learning how to rest. I've been on this journey for months trying to figure out how to rest. Anybody else have a hard time resting? Like you're thinking, oh, everything that needs to go, everything that needs to happen. You know, the Sabbath is something that predated the, the Ten Commandments. It's one of the first things God did. On the seventh day, he rested. It predated the law. Yet we kind of just look at it as something optional. I don't know if you guys know, but I drive Uber and Lyft um, in kind of on the side. And there's a certain amount of money that I, I have a goal to make every, every week. And uh, it's not that we'd necessarily need the money. It's like extra spending money. Angie makes plenty that I'd be fine if I didn't. But I want to make this certain amount because it, it provides a little more for the family. It's nice to have. But God was kind of convicting me. So I would, I would basically work uh, six days a week. And then, you know, Sunday is not really a Sabbath day for a pastor. It's, it's, it really isn't. Um, and so I would, uh, I'd work those six days and, um, you know, usually meet the goal. And I felt God was saying, I want you to take one of those days and take a Sabbath. And I said, okay, God. And so I kind of sloppily did it, uh, meaning, you know, I would not drive, but I'd still try to find all these other things that needed done. And, but he honored it. He honored what I was doing. And what I found was I would take Thursdays off. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I would get hit my goal for about four, five, six, seven weeks in a row just by being obedient to take that Sabbath on that Thursday. Now, sometime after that, I wasn't always hitting it every week, and I had to decide would I still be faithful with that because he'd already shown me that he would be faithful. So if I didn't see the money coming in that I wanted to, would I still trust that he would provide regardless? And he still has. Sometimes taking a Sabbath is me exercising faith that God will provide for me even when I'm not working. That's a hard pill to swallow because I want to do it. I want to make it work for myself. Now, I do want to clarify. That doesn't mean you never work. That means you take a Sabbath. It doesn't mean, you know, seven days a week do nothing. I'm just trusting God. No, no. We're co-laboring with him. But God has instituted a Sabbath to show you that you can lean on him and trust him for that one day. Now that's for you to work out what that should look like in your life. But rest is something that was so important that God did it. If God thought rest was important for him, it's probably pretty important for me. So here's your next question. 
Lord, what things in life do I need help with? And God, how are you going to help me in that area? What do I need to let go of to accept your help? The seventh point I want to make is that life doesn't always turn out the way that you think it will. But God is always still good. If I had looked 10 years ago, I would not have thought I'd be standing in this church. I didn't even know this church existed. But God put me here, and things ended up through a series of things that were disappointments. God actually turned into something great, and I'm so blessed to be here. Sometimes life throws you curveballs. Sometimes you have plans, and you think it's going to work out, and everything's going to happen the way you want it to. And then you get this curveball and you don't know what to do with it. When, God, when life throws you a curveball, it's just another opportunity to trust in him and say that, that, that he is still good. There's a, a scripture that I like to turn to a lot when I've gone through something. And this is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I am going through life and I'm feeling a heavy burden, that's not his burden on me. Something needs to be adjusted because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So I recognize if I'm carrying too much in life, I've got, to, I've got to lay that back on him. I've got to give that back to him. doesn't mean there are no burdens in, in life. It's just that his burden is easy. His, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So this is the next question I want you to ask him. Is the burden you're carrying today easy or light? If it's not, will you give it to him? And he will show you, he'll tell you what that means. How do you give him that burden? That's a question. God, how can I give it to you if I'm carrying more than I should? The last uh, point that I want to make is that I have never felt more alive than when I've been in a relationship with other people experiencing the Lord. I can experience, you know, see what God do miracles and healings and those kinds of things without relationship, but it just does not nourish me the way when I'm in relationship with people. God created me to be in, in relationship with people. But the thing is, when you're in close relationships, there's going to be disappointment sometimes. People will fail you. People will make mistakes. Sometimes you'll even fail them, and you'll be disappointed in yourself. And people will die unexpectedly. That happens. And so you have a choice at that point. There's a, a sermon that Bill Johnson preached probably 10 or 15 years ago that he, he based it all on Proverbs 14.4. This is what it says in the New American Standard. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. 
He titled that sermon, There Are No Poopless Cows. Basically what that means is you can have a clean stable if there are no ox in there, but you'll never get the benefit of the ox. Okay? In life, you can, have, you can save yourself a lot of heart, heartache if you have, have no relationships because they won't break your heart. And everything will be clean and you'll have no connections and you'll be empty. But if you want to take the chance, if you want to really live life, you've got to go after those connections even when you've been disappointed and hurt. You've got to take the chance and go after it again. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to invite the team to come up and we're going to do a, a very classic sozo exercise. This one is called the wall. And in this one, when we talk about a wall, a wall basically means I put a barrier up to protect myself emotionally from hurt. And so some of us, if we've been through trauma, will put walls up because if you've gone through trauma over and over and over again, you can't be mentally present for every time that happens. It's actually a fairly healthy thing to put that wall up while you're going through the trauma. The problem is when the trauma's over, it's not like that wall just disappears and now you know, it's gone. A lot of times, people have been through trauma, but God's delivered them. They have a hard time connecting with people, and they have a hard time connecting with God because they still have this emotional wall up. Okay? So I don't assume if you're going through trauma, if God has, you know, is allowing that wall to be up because he's protecting you, um, I recommend that you get into Sozo or, or see a counselor. Okay? We're going to go and, and let the Lord show you if you have a wall. If you have a wall then we're going to ask him another question to see if it's safe to take that wall down. We don't want to do anything with it if it's not safe to take down because God will want to minister to you to get you ready to take that wall down. But if it's safe, we're going to take it down. If it's not safe, I would highly recommend you sign up for a sozo, see a counselor, work with somebody else to help get you ready to take that wall down. Okay? So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to close your eyes for this. I want you to ask the Lord if you have a wall that you've used to protect yourself. Now, he may give you an image of a wall. He may just say, yes, there's a wall. He may say, no, you're clean. There's no wall. If there's no wall, thank you, Jesus. If he shows you that there is a wall, I want you to ask him if it's safe to take that wall down. If he says it's not safe, please do not do anything with the wall yet. Find out what he needs you to do, he'd like you to do, to get ready to take the wall down, whether it be a sozo session, counseling, forgiveness, working with somebody else. But if he says that it's safe, then I want you to ask Jesus to give you a tool to take that wall down. What tool would Jesus give you to take that wall down? It may be an image of a tool. It may be instructions. Maybe something that he asked you to do. What would he have you use to take that wall down? So Jesus, for those who are prepared and you've given it to a, we just speak to those walls and we pray those walls down flat in Jesus' name. We speak those walls down. Now just in the imagery we just did, did anybody kind of feel like a wall came down? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. God's brought a wall down for you. The next question I want you to ask him is, Lord, with that wall down, what do I get to enjoy in life now?
What do you have for me that I get to enjoy without that wall to protect me? And you go after that. You embrace that. That's what he's given you. He's given you freedom in that. I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to close this morning. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to, to do that. Uh, some of us are, are uh, we're going to try to leave the sanctuary quickly after service so the worship team can have it. But we'll be out in the narthex. You know, look for one of us leaders. We'd be happy to pray with you if you don't know Jesus. Or if you just have a situation you need prayer for, if you need physical healing in your body, we'd love to pray for that. So Jesus, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the freedom you give us. I thank you that you are good. Even when life throws us curveballs, even when we feel like it's a roller coaster, even when we can't see around that hairpin turn, you are good. You've got us. You've covered us. Lord, we open ourselves to you to receive everything you have for us. God, we pray your blessing, your covering over everyone here today. We just ask for a deeper relationship with each other and especially with you. Bless these people to go out. Be your hands and feet to this world in Jesus' name.